Welcome to the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast, where we talk about how you and your organization can take your next step in your leadership journey. Let's get to it. Well, hello and welcome to the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast, the Q&A edition. This podcast is actually sponsored. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are officially getting sponsors now. And this podcast is sponsored by I Was Broke, Now I'm Not. If you are struggling in your personal finances, in your personal finances, go to IWasBrokeNowImNot.com and in the right upper right-hand corner, you will see a button that um I can't read my own freaking writing, but it's in the upper right-hand corner. Oh, it says become financially free. That's what it says. I can't. I literally can't read my writing. Um, if you'll click on that, um, there's an online budgeting class. It's it costs 199 bucks. But here's the deal: if you'll spend 199 dollars now, you'll see about a one to two thousand turnaround dollar turnaround in the next six months. And so that's our sponsor. I was broke. Now I'm not. Dot com, led by my good friend Joe Sangle. It's an amazing, amazing ministry. And you need to get in on it. If you're broke, you don't have to be. All right, so let's get into some questions. We um we got some questions via Twitter. We also got some questions via Facebook. We also got some questions via email. And we had one flown in by a carrier pigeon, which was awesome. So that that last one, we didn't really have one with a carrier pigeon. Here we go. Question number one. When you, lead pastor, have a staff member, friend, who is underperforming. Should the relationship supersede job performance? Um, all the time, some of the time, or never? Um, and this is a great, great question. And l- let me just say, first of all, these are tough waters to navigate because a lot of people say you can't be friends with the people that you work with. And I always say, if you can't be friends with the people you work with, then how do you explain the ministry of Jesus? Hello. Because he called the disciples friends in John chapter 21. And so it is tough to navigate the relationship with friends. But I would say, if you are your friend, if you, you're the friend, but you're the leader. And if you're the leader, then God puts you in a position to lead because he ultimately has entrusted you with making difficult decisions. Now, a lot of times people say, what about grace? What about mercy? And I would simply say, it's not grace or mercy to allow a friend to be in a job where they are consistently underperforming. That's actually cruelty to allow them to stay in that job. Grace and mercy is being willing to have a really difficult conversation that's full of grace and mercy, but it's difficult nonetheless. So I would say to the gentleman who asked this question, I'm not going to say the name because um, your friend might be listening to this podcast. I would say you got to be willing to have a difficult conversation, and we'll be thinking about you and praying for you as you go through that. Um, This next question is a great question, and you're going to hate my answer. Um, but it's a great question nonetheless. After a long season of attendance growth, how do you identify the causes for a decline in attendance beyond the normal rhythms throughout the year? And how do you reverse the new trend? Um, This is a great question, and here's why you're going to hate the answer. It depends. It depends on the church. It depends on the environment. It depends on the communicator. 
It could depend on uh, the worship ministry or the children's ministry. The answer to that question is there's so many variables that I don't know. That's one of the, re- that's one of the reasons uh, we do what we do at the growth company where we come in and we partner with churches. Now, some of you are stopping and going, oh, my gosh, you're plugging your growth company. Yes, because it's my podcast. That's what I do. Um, but, but that's one of the things we do is we come in and we help churches figure that out and reverse that trend, because I believe, and this is just, it's a core conviction, I believe that every church in America can and should be growing. I believe every church in America can and should be growing. Um, and I'll talk about more about that in the, in the next podcast that will not be on Facebook Live, but will be on iTunes next Monday. I just winked at the camera. All right, um... Next question, how do you create a culture of leadership identification and development? Great question. How do you create a culture of leadership identification and development? It's it's very simple. Find people in your church or your organization that not not only bring you problems, because any fool can identify a problem. It does not take a leader to identify a problem. Find people that bring you problems and solutions that work. When you begin to find people that, find, that identify and find problems and solutions that work, you have identified a leader. So that's, that's, um, that's just one of the ways I would tell you. How do you. This is a great one. How do you know the difference between a vision that God has given you or something that you just want really bad? Um, <laughs> this is a great question. Um, it's a question that should be asked by, you know, People in college, um, especially dudes, they'll go up to a girl and say, God told me I'm supposed to be with you. And really, it was just he had pizza the night before. It wasn't God. It was Pizza Hut. Um, but this is ask. I mean, have you, have you ever heard that? Has a, has a guy ever told you that, Carly? Has a guy ever told you that, Winter? God told me I was going to be with you? Winter's not facing the camera right now. So she just nodded in a way that said yes, but I'm not going to say who. Anyway... Um, this is in a leadership context, though, and, and this would be my answer. Um, the way to know the difference between a vision that God has given you or something that you just want really bad is the vision that God has given you won't go away. Like, you can't get away from it. Like, when you go to bed at night, it's there. When you wake up in the morning, it's there. And you'll constantly find people and circumstances that do nothing but affirm and confirm the vision over and over again. So there's the answer to the question. Um, this next question is legitimately seven sentences long, and um, I'm not going to read all seven sentences because it might shut down iTunes, um, but the, the, the basic premise of the question is this. How do you motivate volunteers? Wouldn't you say that's a good summation, Carly? Did you actually read the question? Yeah, thank you. So it's basically, how do you motivate volunteers? Which is a phenomenal question, which all, by the way, we do that with a growth company too. Um, But there's two things that you use on a consistent basis to motivate volunteers. Number one is vision. Constantly telling them um, why what they do matters. So this is what you do, and this is why it matters. And number two is encouragement. Encouragement, encouragement, encouragement. I think one of the things lacking and a lot of volunteer ministries is, is encouragement. And I'm telling you, a little bit of encouragement goes a long way. Um, I wasn't always the, the best in the world at this, but I remember one time um, there was a volunteer just knocking it out of the park in one of our services. 
Uh, she worked in the children's area, and uh, and I, I forgot what she did, but it was next level. So I found out her favorite candy bar, um, and I went and uh, got her a bucket, like one of those little pale metal buckets, and I filled it full of the bite-sized candy bars that she just really loved. Um, and I thought that was awesome. Uh, what really sucked is she, she was going on a diet the next day, so it probably wasn't the best move in the world, but I was giving it a shot. I was giving it a shot, and I think, uh, anyway. And then she sent me, this is not a lie, she sent me back a bucket of Butterfingers, and I was not going on a diet the next day, and I cont- I just pummeled them. They were just, um, they were amazing. All right, uh, how do you... Here's a great question. How do you effectively create a culture mindset that allows for both high standards and aggressive growth, as well as shortcomings and failures, simultaneously with both authenticity and grace leading it? That's a deep question, so I want to read it again. Um, And by the way, I'm not going to say the guy's first name, but the last guy, his last name is Potter. His first name is not Harry but I did the other night watch Harry Potter and um, guys, one of the Harry Potters. I don't know. What was the little old lady in the pink suit that got on everybody's nerves? What's her name? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have y'all seen the Harry Potter movies? The cat lady? No, she's not the cat lady. She wears the pinks anyway. I'm getting off track. Here we go. Here's the question. How do you effectively create a culture mindset that allows for both high standards and aggressive growth as well as shortcomings and failures simultaneously with both authenticity and grace leading the way. This is what I would say this. For years and years and years in church culture, we used authenticity as an excuse to do things poorly. And so we would say, um, oh, well, that was done very poorly, but it was authentic. But I would argue that the most authentic person to ever live on the face of the planet was Jesus. And Jesus did not allow authenticity to be an excuse to do things poorly. Where in the world did we ever come up with the idea that authenticity equals awful? Um, it's just it's not a biblical principle, and it's not a leadership principle either. And so I would say that we've got to continue to have standards of excellence. Now let me pause and say this. Excellence is not perfection. Excellence is when a person is willing to give his or her very best. That's excellence, and that's the consistent standard that we should go for. And listen, the church, the church should model excellence to the world better than the world models excellence to the church. It's a sad day in the world when we have to go to Ritz-Carlton and Disney, and Apple to get ideas for excellence from them when we've got the power of the gospel, we've got the Holy Spirit, we've got an empty tomb, we've got a cross that paid for sin, we have the ability to do things better than anybody else on the planet. So why in the world does the church get so far behind when it comes to doing things excellently? I'll tell you. In the next podcast, it's going to be pretty awesome. Um, so that was my answer there. All right. Uh, any words to a person in ministry restoring from tough mistake but fighting criticism and lack of acceptance? <laughs> I have 
I don't know. I've never dealt with that before in my life. I have no idea what this could even possibly be referring to. Here's, here's the idea. All of us screw up and all of us make mistakes. Some of us just are more public mistakes than others. Um, so the best way to restore, um, the best way is to keep focused forward. When you let people, when you let people, um, I, when you let people define you, when you let other people define your worth, when you let other people tell you what you can and you can't do, you will always achieve way less than God created you to achieve. Always. Other people don't know your story. Other people don't know your battles. Other people don't know the demons that you fought. Other people don't know the hell that you've walked through. Other people don't know the fight that you've had to fight that is a good fight. And so I'm not saying don't listen to other people. I'm just saying that just because you made a mistake, it does not unqualify you or disqualify you. My God, there are 7 billion people on the planet and 3.5 billion don't know Christ. If we would just get out of each other's way, I read this morning, I read this morning in the Bible, Carly, that Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And I started thinking, you know why the workers are few? Because we're running around telling everybody how qualified or unqualified they are or are not. My God, who in the Bible did Jesus ever call that was actually qualified? Noah was a drunk. Um, hello. Abraham prostituted his wife out. Peter denied Jesus. Paul murdered Christians. And Jesus used unqualified, disqualified people to turn the world upside down. So don't let people that don't even know you tell you who you are. You find your identity in Christ and go out and reach people for Jesus and change the world. I'm fired up. Should have ended it right there. Perry, what are three things you would tell? I'm sweating. Did it, is it hot in here? It just got hot in here. Holy crap, I'm sweating. Perry, what are three things that you would tell young leaders to do to gain rapport among the older generation? Great question. Number one, ask questions. Because the older generation fought battles that we didn't have to fight. The older generation faced things that we don't have to face. And a lot of times, um, as a young leader, I made the mistake of trying to jump in with the older generation and make a bunch of statements rather than asking a bunch of questions. They've got wisdom that we don't have, and we should definitely be seeking that out. Um, the second thing you can do to gain rapport among the older generation is say thank you. Um, thank you for the battles that you fought. Thank you for the way that you paved. Thank you for the things that you've done. Um, one, of the, one, of the place, one of the pastors that I've seen doing this um, better uh, are really well is Pastor Troy Jones. He pastors a church out in Washington State. And um, the way that Pastor Troy has, has honored the next generation at that church has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, the third thing I would say is be patient. Um, they're the older generation, so they're not as comfortable with things that um, we're comfortable with. I remember being at, a, at an event about six years ago, and there was an 80-year-old woman there. And I never will forget this, because I overheard her talking to her husband, and she said, sweetheart, I just don't know how I feel about these cell phones. And I started thinking, they're here to stay. Like, they're not going anywhere. 
And but you know what? I have you got to be patient with her because you know she used to not have a phone. I mean, I'm sure this lady used to pick up the phone and ask for the operator, you know, or whatever. And so you got to be real patient with them because they don't understand our technology. And listen, here's the other thing about the older generation. They don't understand the speed of life that we operate with. They're way more laid back. They're way more calm. Maybe that's why the older generation took less prescription medicine they had less problems. They die, They had less heart attacks, less stroke, less type 2 diabetes, and just ultimately lived healthier lives is because they weren't as stressed as we are. Just a thought. Last question. Perry, I'm a youth pastor, and I've only been preaching for 1.5 years. I want to grow in my communication and how I connect. Do you have any advice? Absolutely. Practice practice, practice. When I was a youth pastor, um, I would take every speaking engagement that came my way. Literally. I remember I showed up one night at a speaking engagement. There were three kids there on a Friday night in Pickens. Most of you don't even know where Pickens is. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm preaching till two of the three, two of these three kids get saved Two, two, and two of them got saved. I think I scared them to death. Um, but I accepted every invitation possible. And listen, it was awful. I am so glad. I don't, I'm not even sure tape recorders existed when I first started preaching, but um, it was so bad, but practice makes perfect. And I'll say this. I was talking with somebody earlier today about communicating. I still get nervous before I preach, and I've been preaching for 25 years. And I've had some people go, oh, if you just trusted in the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't get nervous. Yeah, it's easy for you to say that when you're sitting on your butt and you've never given a speech in your life. I'm telling you, there is a factor that you're always going to get nervous about. But at the end of the day, if you're a preacher and you are supposed to communicate, you will never, ever walk off stage that God doesn't significantly use you to somehow encourage or challenge somebody else. And the best messages that you can preach are actually the ones that you preach to yourself. Oh, snap. That's true. The best messages that you can preach are actually the ones that you preach to yourself. So thank you so much for sending in your questions to this edition of the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. We do two podcasts every month. This is the Q&A edition. We'll be doing it again in April. And then we're also having another podcast that we're going to record in just a few minutes on breaking the next growth barrier in your church. I'm going to tell you how to do it. Y'all have a good one. I love you. God bless. This is Perry Noble signing off for this edition. Thank you for listening to the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. We hope you had a blast spending time with us. For more thoughts on leadership, visit Perry's blog at perrynoble.com.